Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity to be before you, to worship you, to praise you, and to declare your excellencies. And Father, as, I, as we look into your word, I pray that our hearts would be receptive, that we would be teachable, that we would allow you by your spirit to instruct us, that we would become more and more like your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this time. We commit it to you now in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, unfortunately, many of us are probably quite aware that the visible church appears to be quite unstable these days. We see uh, people tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Uh, one book comes out, everybody follows that. Another one comes out, they follow that. A program comes out, whatever it might be. We see the church uh, just going all over the place, like uh, the surf of the sea being tossed to and fro. Now, what's the core of this instability? Well, certainly we know that believers, uh, unbelievers cannot be stable in Christ. We know that, make believers. But what about believers? Well, we certainly know there's possibly a lack of faith. Uh, we know in James chapter 1 that we are to consider all joy, my brethren, when encountering various trials, and knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be complete and lacking in nothing. But if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven, tossed by the wind. In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul shares the reality of what God has done, giving certain giftings for the equipping of the saints, uh, to the building up of the body, to the, to the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God, and because of that, as a result, he writes, as a result, we are no longer to be children, uh, Ephesians 4.14, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We know that when one is unstable because of a lack of faith or a lack of understanding of the truth in which we believe concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are targets for the enemy. We are targets. We know that uh, friendship towards the world is hostility towards God. We see that worldliness. Also in First Peter 5, we know that we have an adversary. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith. You see, we have many, so many immature, unstable believers who are like an ill-equipped army that is under attack from all sides, totally unaware. And spiritual instability is ugly, by the way. It is not God's desire at all. So how can we as believers stand firm? Well, we're going to see today that within the context of the book of Philippians, we are commanded to stand firm and we'll see how to do so. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we have been studying the book of Philippians. Let me briefly bring us up to speed in the context. Uh, Paul is writing the saints who are in Philippi. They are believers. That's what saints are. And he is under house arrest, and he is chained to a Roman guard 24-7. Uh, he has already lovingly prayed for them that uh, 
that they would grow in their love for Christ in real knowledge and discernment. And he has uh, made it clear to them that the good work that God began, he will complete. And he has shared his circumstances that although he is imprisoned, the gospel is not imprisoned. And he has shared his attitude in the midst of those difficulties. To live is Christ and to die is gain. But he reveals, inspired by the Spirit, that he is going to live on. And it is for the benefit of the Philippians that he does so. And he understands that whether in life or death, his desire is for Christ to be magnified. For Christ to be magnified. And then he addresses the Philippians' attitudes. Uh, they were to stand firm in the faith against the opposition. They were to they were to stand firm. They were to be united and humble. They were to have the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ. And after giving us the perfect example of humility, our Lord Jesus Christ in the incarnation, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, we see that he was exalted to his rightful place again as he always was and is Lord of all, that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. And then because Christ is Lord, we are to be as believers working out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in us. What he does in us ought to be working out and manifesting in our behavior as we trust and rely on Christ and obey him. And we saw the first command after that, there should be nothing done in the context of complaining and disputing. Not one thing. Not one thing. And then he gave three examples, selfless examples of humility. Three selfless examples. And he shared himself and he shared Epaphroditus and Timothy. And then we came into chapter 3 where he was warning us that for our good, first of all, that we should be rejoicing, but we should also be aware Beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. And then the Apostle Paul shares that we, true believers, including himself, are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. The marks of true believers, of true disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to share, if anyone could put confidence in the flesh, hey, I got a whole list of things that, that, that gave me uh, what I thought was spiritual gain, but it was actually loss. And he revealed that when he came to Christ, all of his religious accomplishments, his heritage, it was all worthless. It was refuse compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. And from there we see that the Apostle Paul, the direction his heart took, as an example for us as a believer. He pressed forward, not looking back, towards the goal, the upward call in Christ Jesus, being conformed to his image, becoming like Christ. And simply put, the Christian life can be summed up, it is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, being conformed to his image. And we are not to go back from where we have come. See to it that you don't go back to from where you have come. We should continue in growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the end of chapter 3, we were told and commanded to be imitators of Paul, be fellow imitators, to imitate his walk in the Lord Jesus Christ, to mimic that, to, to, to trust the Lord like Paul trusted the Lord, to believe what God said like he did, and to spot out and scope out others who are doing the same thing. And then we were given two reasons why we should do so. The first being negative, because those 
who walk in a different manner. Many walk, and he says, of whom I've often told you weeping, who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is their appetite. Their, their glory is in their shame. They set their mind on earthly things. That's the mindset of those who do not know Christ. And their, thus their end is destruction. But we saw last week that our citizenship as believers is in heaven. It's in heaven. We have a heavenly citizenship. Remember, the Philippians were very, were very privileged to have Roman citizenship. It was a big deal. And Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. We are heavenly citizens. And we are those who eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of this humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. We await the Lord Jesus to finish the job to complete the job, to bring about our glorification. You see, we were justified by faith in Jesus Christ, and we are now becoming more like him as the word by the Spirit works in us. We are sanctified, but we will be glorified someday. And if you're a believer, we should, and we are eagerly awaiting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're awaiting the Lord Jesus Christ for him to come again. And we know he will come for his church and take us before he brings about judgment. We are not destined for wrath, but for salvation. And then we come to our passage today. And so with that in mind, I want to read uh, not only just our passage, verse 1 of chapter 4, but I want to read what I've just summarized just a little bit from verse 17 through our passage, because as you will see, it is connected today. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, whom I've often told you and now tell you, even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await or wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of power that he has even to subject all things to himself. And then our passage today. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy in my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. So today we're going to be looking at chapter 4, verse 1. And obviously, as you can see, the main point of that, or the main uh, grammatical portion there, the command as we're going to look at is to stand firm in the Lord. And so how can we be stable in an unstable world? First of all, we need to understand our present responsibility to obey his word and to stand firm in the Lord. We're going to see this is a command to believers to stand firm in the Lord. Again, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And as I've made mention, the main portion of this passage is the command to so stand firm in the Lord. The rest is, is really, Paul is modifying who he is speaking to. He is, he is sharing more about them. And then we have the introduction, therefore. But we're going to look at that in a minute. We're going to look at the therefore, and we're going to look at the portion, my beloved, whom I long to see, my joint crown. We're going to look at that. But first of all, I want to look at the command that is here, and then we will look at the context that surrounds the command. 
So he says here, so stand firm in the Lord. Now, this is not a suggestion from the Apostle Paul. This is a command by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit. It is an imperative command. And it's in a present tense, which speaks of a continual, habitual standing. Continually, habitually be standing firm in the Lord. Be standing firm in the Lord. What does that mean, to stand firm in the Lord? I think we can sort of understand that, but what does it mean? The verb translated stand firm comes from the Greek word steko. It speaks of holding a position. It is used at times to speak of those who were holding a position in battle until the end. Until the battle was won. It is where we get our English words steak from. Not steak we eat, but steak in the ground, right? Steko, stand firm. Hold your position. Hold your position. Yet what does it mean to hold our position in the Lord? To stand firm in the Lord. What does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean we pull up our bootstraps and stand firm in Him? What does it mean? I believe the context is clear. I believe He's speaking of spiritual stability in the midst of our walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. It has to do with our relationship with the Lord. We are to stand firm in the Lord. Indeed, this passage is connected, as we will see in a moment, Father, therefore, to what I read earlier, that we are to imitate the walk of faith of our Lord that the Apostle Paul revealed in Scripture. And those who walk this way, we're to walk like that. We're to scope out those who walk in the same manner, those who are trusting in Christ, those who are focused on the eternal realities, those who are allowing his word to work in their hearts, those who are responding to the difficulties like we see the Apostle Paul responding in the context of faith in Jesus Christ. It speaks of holding our position in him or in the Lord. And our passage says, so stand firm in the Lord. We'll look at that so later, because that's important. Stako, stand firm in the Lord. You'll remember we saw back in chapter 1, verse 27. Turn back there for a moment. Chapter 1, verse 27. We saw this word, stako, the standing firm. Chapter 1, verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Standing firm. Standing firm in one spirit, striving for the faith of the gospel. If you turn to 1 Thessalonians 3, we see this same thing where the Apostle Paul desired to check on the Thessalonians. He was concerned that they would have been tempted by Satan. He was concerned that in the midst of their suffering, their faith would waver. And he's going to associate the reality of faith with standing firm. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. The Apostle Paul had sent Timothy to check on their faith, and he gets a good report. And from this report, we see what standing firm is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your what? Your faith and your love. And by the way, we see in Scripture throughout that genuine faith will produce 
a Christ-likeness. Faith will result in a genuine love for the body of Christ, which is manifest, 1 John 5, in obeying the Lord, and obeying his word towards one another and towards him. That you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. Verse 7, For this reason, brethren, in all our distresses and affliction, we were comforted about you through your, what? Faith. That's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing what he has said. For, he's going to explain, now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. If you are trusting the Lord, believing his word in the midst of the whirlwinds of things that happen in this temporal life, and this the temptations, the, the temptation of the world, whatever it might be, the difficulties that we experience. He says we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. I'll read this for you. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the Lord. And he's talking to men. Act like men. Be strong. Be strong. And that strength is in the Lord. And we see the context in which we stand firm. Turn also to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 13. But we always should give thanks to God for you, beloved brethren, by the Lord. Beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel, that you might gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or of mouth or by letter from us. Stand firm. Hold to the truth of the word of God. We don't just stand firm in a mystical view of our trust in Jesus. We stand firm in the truth concerning what God has revealed about him and the word and what he has said about us and our circumstances and about what he desires us to do. We stand firm in our faith in Jesus Christ in what he has said. We are to stand firm. You see, our relationship with Jesus Christ began by faith. We believed the gospel. We turned from sin, our sin, not able to, to escape, but turned to Jesus for salvation. We repented and trusted in Christ Jesus as Lord. And we see here that we are to stand firm. And we grow by the word. It's the word of God that God uses to grow us in respect to salvation. As we have received Christ, so walk in him. So to stand firm in him, we need to allow his word to work in our hearts. We need to believe what he has said and by his power and strength act upon it. You see, if you're trusting Jesus, believing his word in regard to your circumstances and his promises, you are standing firm in the Lord. You're trusting him. And folks, in the context of Philippians, Paul speaks about spiritual stability. And we have lots of examples of how the Apostle Paul stood firm and exhorted the Philippians to stand firm. They were to keep standing firm in suffering for the gospel of Christ, chapter 1. They were to keep standing firm, being united in humility and obedience to Christ, chapter 2. They were to stand firm against threats to the gospel, chapter 3. Stand firm as heavenly citizens pressing forward towards the goal, Christ's likeness, our glorification, chapter 3. And as we see here, they're to keep standing firm, 
rejoicing in the Lord, as we'll see in chapter 4, praying and thanking Him rather than worrying. Allowing His Word, the things of Him, to, to, focus, to be our focus of our mind. So then the command is for all of us here. And it's for us to stand firm in the Lord. Believe what He has said. Trust in Him personally. Trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. You see, we stand firm in the Lord by faith. By faith. We hold fast to what he has said by faith. And God has commanded us here, literally, keep on standing firm in the Lord. But sadly, so often we take God's commands so lightly, don't we? Uh, God gives us his commands, but yet he's like a, he is a loving parent. You see, and when we command our children, we do it for what reason? We love them. We give them what is good for them. We love them. It's for their own good, their protection, their best interest, because we love them. Well, where are you today? Are God's commands for you suggestions or good advice? If they are, then you are in for a great fall. You're in for a great fall. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And then he gave the same example that he did in Matthew chapter 7 of those who builds their house on the sand versus the rock. The illustration of those who, who hear the word and do it because they have a changed heart versus those who hear it and don't do it. And they look like they're the right thing, but in the end they will fall. They will fall. God gives us his commands for benefit, but we need to be saved before we can obey those commands. He gives us his spirit and enables us and changes our hearts to trust in him. So then we are commanded to stand firm in the Lord. And notice he gives us some reasons why we should do so. Notice back in our passage, Philippians 4.1, it's based on our present reality and our future glory in Christ. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, my beloved brethren, who I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Therefore, therefore, this Greek term hosta basically is a connection between what is said before. You could translate it when there is a command this way. For this reason, do this. For this reason, or therefore, so stand firm in the Lord. Well, what reason? What reason is he giving that we should stand firm in the Lord? For this reason, well, obviously it's what he's just shared. It's what he's just shared. Look back. At chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. What was the example? Pressing forward, not looking back. Seeking to know Christ, Christ more, the knowledge of him more valuable than anything else. Pressing towards the upward call. Brethren, join in following my example, verse 17 of chapter 3. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Then the negative reason. For many walk, of whom I told you, and now tell you, even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Follow the Lord, because if you're not following him, maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're on your way to destruction. Secondly, he says here, For our, a believer's citizenship is in heaven, from which we also wait eagerly, eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our glorification who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of power he has even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, 
Therefore, because we are on the way to glory, we are focused on Christ, not the things of earth. We are setting our mind on the things above. Therefore, in the midst of that battle, to do so, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm. Therefore, for this reason, because of what God is going to do and complete in Jesus Christ, because we are heavenly citizens, not of earth, because we are not on the road to destruction, because we are pressing forward, not looking back, so stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm. Don't waffle all over the place when difficulties come. If it's sin, confess it. Let God discipline you, make you more like Christ. If it's not, let him take those trials and produce endurance in you. Understand the truth of God's word. Stand firm. Don't wobble. Don't wobble. Psalm 125, a psalm of sense. Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. No matter what is going on around you, Trust in the Lord. Believe His Word. Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm. And you can't do that if you don't know Him. And you can't do that if you don't trust Him. And you can't do that if you don't know what He says. How can I stand firm in the Lord with all the stuff going on if I don't know what God says about it? I need to know the Word of God. I need to know the Word of God. Because if I don't, if I place myself under teachers that don't equip me, I'm going to be tossed to and fro. And I'm not going to stand firm. Again, I want to read Ephesians chapter 4. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. You see, if I'm not allowing the Word of God to build me up based on my choices, you make your choice where you go to church. You make your choice who you submit to. You make your choice. If I'm not doing that, I'm going to be tossed. I'm going to be tossed. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm actually going to read back a little bit than what I did before. Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to go back to verse 12. Actually, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and as prophets, as foundational in the church, evangelists and pastors and teachers. For what reason? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of what? The faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man that we grow up to the measure of the stature of which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, having been built up in the Word of God, you got to, now you could be in a great church and have a hard heart. I'm talking about hearts that are receptive to the Word and, and grow. It says, as a result, we are no longer to be children. Ba- little, little, you know, if you look at a little baby, oh, so cute. You look at a little three-year-old, oh, she's so cute, or whatever it might be. Look at someone who's 35 years old acting like a three-year-old. It's not cute anymore, right? It says here, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. We're no longer to be tossed to and fro. We're no longer to be unstable. We are to be stable in Christ, built up. And we all have to grow. We all start somewhere, right? And if you're not there, trust the Lord. The command is to be strong in Him, to to, to be firm in Him, to stand firm in Him. You can do so if you trust Him. Because it's not up to you, it's up to Him. Stand firm in the Lord. 
Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, whose cannot be moved. Do you trust the Lord? Are you standing firm? We need to recognize our present responsibility if you want to be stable, and that is to stand firm in the Lord. Get into the Word of God. Believe what He has said. Trust in Him and stand firm. Stand firm as heavenly citizens sojourning on this earth, pressing forward, not looking back, awaiting the Savior. Trust Him. Trust Him. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my crown, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Now, what's another motivation to obey this that we have from this passage? Did you notice here we have something repeated? Therefore, my beloved brethren, and look at the end, my beloved. This is a beloved sandwich. My beloved. The Apostle Paul is sharing his love for these beloved brethren. Therefore, my beloved brethren. First of all, they're brethren. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, when you trust in Jesus Christ, when you believe in him, we are transformed, we are, we are delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are children of God, adopted into the family through faith in Christ. We are in the family of God. We are brothers and sisters. And Paul says, beloved brethren, therefore thus stand firm. Beloved Now, we know throughout Scripture that when one is truly saved, they're going to manifest a love for the body of Christ. That is innate to a true believer. If you don't want to be around the body of Christ, you don't care about other believers, then something is seriously wrong. Maybe you were stillborn. Maybe you weren't really born. We see in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, Now as to the love of the brethren, Paul writes, You have no need of anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love which you have for the saints. For the saints. Do you remember we saw the Apostle Paul in chapter 1? He saw his life simply for the benefit of the body of Christ, that Christ will be glorified. Look back in chapter 1. Look back in chapter 1. Chapter 1 of, of, of uh, Philippians, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed in both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. He's not saying, I want to stay in this life for me. I want to stay here because it's more necessary for your sake. Be with Christ is so much better. But me being here is necessary for your sake. He had a love for them. He had a love for them. Notice he longs for them. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4 again. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see. Whom I long to see. He longs for them. He longs to see them. You remember his desire back in chapter 1 was to be with them. He says, For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. 1.8 I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
the love that Christ has for you, he has given me, and I long for you with that affection. That affection. Paul is manifesting the heart of Christ. He longs for them. He longs to be with his people. And this is where this selfish, seeker-sensitive, modern church falls so short. Everyone is in it for themselves. Rarely do people come to church or Bible studies unless they are entertained or something is there for them. Rarely do they come to, to serve Christ and to serve his body. Most of you here long for one another, and, and we long to see each other each time we meet, and I praise the Lord for that affection. But there may be some of you who truly don't long to be here, as exemplified by your actions. This is how someone could just skip church, forsake fellowship. Something's wrong inside. Stay at home during Bible studies. Oh, it's not that we're forced to be here. The point is we ought to long to be obedient to the Lord, and we ought to long to be together. This is an evidence of the life of Christ manifest in you. Do you long for your own desires? Do you long for his? The affection of Christ, the Apostle Paul, he longed for them. I long for you, he says. Beloved brethren whom I long for. I long for you, he says. Now, if you don't long to be at the body of Christ, I would examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Maybe you've never truly been saved because that's something that manifests when Christ changes you. Or you've been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And it's so wonderful. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we press forward, not looking back. And you have a longing for his people. Do you long to be with the brothers and sisters? Paul longed for them. Do you long to fight the good fight with them, to stand firm with them in Christ? He says again, back in our passage, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my long to see, literally then so stand firm in the Lord. And look at this, my beloved. He loves them. He loves them. He has the love of Christ for them. Now we see the love of Christ is manifest in maybe not what you think. So often people talk about love as just what makes you feel good about someone else. But John shares in 1 John chapter 5 what the love of Christ is. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. And what the love of brothers and sisters are. I mean, that's what I'm saying. What it looks like. You might remember our study when we went through this. 1 John chapter 5. He says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. Now, you would think that's maybe Jesus here, but in context, it's not. Keep reading. By this, he says, by this we know that we love the children of God. Here's how you can know if you love God's children or not. He says, when we love God and observe his commandments. Not, his, not the Ten Commandments, but his, his commands, ontally. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You see, if I love you, I'm going to obey God towards you because God loves you so much more than me. If I love you, what he says is in your best interest. And I'm going to obey him because I care for you. I care for you. That's what love is. So the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, back in Philippians 4, whom I long to see, my joy, my crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. 
Now there's another um, thing we need to see that actually is a motivation for doing what is right, for obeying his word. Because our walk as believers affects others. It does. Don't think what you do and what you don't do doesn't affect those around you. It does. It does. Our walk affects one another. Take a look at our passage again. Short passage, but there's a lot here. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, notice what he says, my joy and crown. My joy and crown. So stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. He says, you're my joy, two things, and my crown. Concerning joy, he says to the Philippians, are his joy. Paul is an under-shepherd of the Lord's flock. The Philippians are his joy. But why are they his joy? What is it that makes believers a joy for another believer? What is it that makes believers rejoice about other believers? Third John makes it very clear. John says this in Third John, verse 3. For I was very glad when the brethren came and bore witness to your truth. That is how you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this than to hear of my children. It's the spiritual children, by the way, walking in the truth. Third John 3 and 4. No greater joy than to hear of his spiritual children walking in the truth. The truth of God is manifest in your heart and thus your life. No greater joy. When people obey the Lord, trust him, believe his word, walk in that truth, oh, how joyful that is. And on the contrary, when people don't believe the Lord, when they don't walk in his truth, when they ignore things, when they're tossed to and fro, that's not joyful to see. It's not. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We see that those in spiritual authority are going to give an account and, and there's an exhortation that they would do it in joy rather than grief because it's profitable or unprofitable for you depending on what it is. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And if you'll remember in chapter 13, verse 7, the leaders were those who led you, who, who gave you the word of God, right? And you're to mimic their faith. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they watch over your souls. They're watching over your souls as those who will give an account. And then here's the exhortation. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. Be a joy to your leaders. Don't grieve them because if you grieve them, it's going to be unprofitable for you. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ, follow him, walk with him, stand firm in the Lord. Doesn't mean we don't have troubles and trials. Doesn't mean we're not grieved over situations that happen in our lives. Doesn't mean we don't weep over things, but we see it from God's perspective and we trust him in those things. And we stand firm in the Lord. You see, when you trust in the Lord, you'll bring joy to those around you who are following Jesus. If they're truly following Jesus. When you don't trust in the Lord, it's going to grieve them. It's going to grieve them. It's just the reality. It's just the reality. When you act like a, a baby two-year-old Christian, when you should be a 30-year-old Christian in a sense, by this time we should be teachers, Hebrews chapter 5, it brings grief. You should grow up in the Lord and stand firm in Him and trust Him that He would be glorified. He'd be glorified. 
The Philippians were the Apostle Paul's joy. There is joy. And God has placed spiritual authority over you, regardless of what you think. And spiritually speaking, for me as a pastor here and an elder, do you bring me joy or grief? If it's grief, it's unprofitable for you. That's what the Bible says. When I watch over your souls, is it joyful or, or is it grief? I mean, I could tell you about that, right? I could tell you when I rejoice, tell you when I grieve. I'll tell you right now, those who trust the Lord, no matter what the circumstance, those who confess their sin when they blow it, those who trust Jesus, those who don't hold on to things, those who love, uh, love covers the multitude of sins, those who are trusting the Lord, brings joy. Brings joy. No matter how much we mess up and trip up, as long as we confess and keep going and go forward and, and become more like Christ, letting him discipline us and change us. But then there are those who don't trust the Lord, who can't see the reality of what's going on because they're being tossed to and fro. What a grief that is. You don't have to be that way. The Lord doesn't want you to be that way. He wants you to grow up. And he wants you to grow up. And so get in his word with a right heart. Confess sin. Trust Jesus. Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. One uh, pastor writes, The man of God's heart ought to find his joy from two sources, Christ and his people. One of the marks of spiritual maturity is that we rejoice in the same things God rejoices in. I agree with that. Brother and sister, you are my joy when I see you grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. But I would be dishonest to say that I didn't have grief at some times. Your walk does affect me, and it affects others around you. By the way, there are other believers around you who are following the Lord. And when you don't follow the Lord, you affect them. You affect them. You bring grief rather than joy. Bring joy to those around you by trusting Christ. Bring joy to those who have ministered in your life by trusting Christ. What a joy it is to see people following Christ and standing firm. What a joy. Well, notice next, he also says that he is that they are his crown. My joy, verse 1, and my and crown. Literally my crown. My joy and crown. Well, what's this crown thing? What's he talking about? The term crown, Stephanos, spoke of a, of a wreath. It spoke of an adornment worn on the head. It was given as an award to the victor in an athletic contest. It was the victor's crown. The crown for victory. You lose the race, you don't get a crown. You win the race, you get a crown. It was the victor's crown. Well, what do we know about crowns from Scripture? I can share a few little things about it. A few things. The Apostle Paul, actually we'll turn to this passage. Turn to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. So as you're turning there, Paul says there, his joy in his crown. That's what you are, joy in a crown. A crown. Present joy, and what, as we'll see, a future crown. Present joy, future crown. 1 Corinthians 9, 23. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know, and this is an example, that all those, that those who run in the race all run. Everybody runs. If there's a race, everybody in it is running, right? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do that to receive a perishable Stephanos or wreath, but we... And imperishable. 
there are eternal rewards for what we do today. Look at uh, 2 Timothy. Actually, I'll, I'll share it for you. 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Apostle Paul says that he has fought the good fight and they're lay, then up in heaven there is le- waiting for him, the, laid up in heaven, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award to those uh, who loved his appearing. James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Uh, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. For shepherds, when the chief shepherd appears, 1 Peter 5, verse 4, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's for shepherds who are faithful. Now, I do want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, excuse me, it's 2. Actually, 3. <laughs> just, just turn to 1 Thessalonians. We'll get there somehow. Actually, it is 1 Thessalonians 2. (laughs) Verse 17. But we, brethren, having been bereft of you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Again, that longing. Verse 18. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan thwarted us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. You see, when the Lord Jesus comes, we're going to see really truly what happened in this life. We're going to see really truly where you are spiritually and what happened during this life and how what God did through us as we trusted him affected those in whom we ministered for forever and ever and ever. We're going to see that. We're going to see that that they were going to be his rejoicing when Christ comes. You see, present joy, future joy, future rejoicing. You see, we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account, Romans chapter 14. You see, and the shepherds who have ministered to you, or the ones you didn't let, will either rejoice or not. When they see what Christ has done, there'll be a crown. In a sense, you're their crown. You're their crown, the victor's crown, what Christ did. Victory, Christ did. Well, some of you might say, well, what is this big deal about eternity? We're all going to make it in. There's no more pain, no more tears. It's going to be so great, I'm not going to cry about not having a crown or whatever it is. That's the wrong attitude. You see, we should walk differently because of what God says in his word. I want to share two passages, and we're going to finish up. Two passages, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, turn there. He says, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10, the context is, uh, hey, you know, if we get killed and we lose this earthly tent, we got a heavenly one eventually. You know, absent from the Lord, present, absent from the body, present with him, but we will not remain without naked or body. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be clothed, be clothed. And so he says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Therefore, also we have as our ambition... Whether home or absent, that's either home in this body now or absent from that with the Lord if we die, to be pleasing to him. For the reason why, explanation of why we want to be pleasing, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be reconciled for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
You see, there is a judgment for our deeds in the body now as believers. Not a judgment for sin. Sin has been taken care of. But a judgment for eternal rewards. Recompense. God is not unfaithful so as to reward us. He does reward us. He will reward us. There's going to be a judgment. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, actually turn there also, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10. What you build upon will determine the reward that you receive. And that reward is going to make those who minister to you rejoice when they see what Christ did through them, by his power and strength, for his glory, what happened to you and how that affects your eternity. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. According to the grace which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. This is an eternity, by the way. But he himself shall be saved, yet as through fire. There is gain and loss of rewards in eternity. And those rewards are tied to what Christ did through us while we were in the body. And, it, and it's going to give him glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. So Paul says, you are my joy and my crown. You're my crown. You're the victor's crown. And we see what Christ has done through his word in your lives when you're in eternity. For who is our hope and joy and crown of exaltation? Paul writes, first Thess 2, Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Aren't you that? So my question is, are you a joy and crown for those who minister to you? Will you be? Will there be reward based on what Christ did that glorifies him forever and ever? That causes us to praise him forever? Revelation chapter 4, cast our crowns before him in worship? Or will you suffer loss? And there won't be joy in regards to those who ministered around you. Not just talking about shepherds, those believers who have come around you and shared the word of God with you, those who have encouraged you, exhorted you, admonished you, those who've loved you, those who've loved you. So then, we have as our heavenly destiny, as heavenly citizens, the command, so stand firm in the Lord. And now let's finish up. Notice how we do this. And I've already shared this, so I'm just going to briefly review. Back in Philippians 4.1, notice he says that we stand firm in the Lord. You can't stand firm in the Lord if you're not in the Lord. If you haven't been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you can't stand firm because you're not saved. You have to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, believing he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And once you're saved, you're in Christ. And you have the choice to stand firm in him or to wobble and flail. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. You see, there's nothing that we can do. And this was spoken of earlier. But in John chapter 15, apart from him, 
we can do nothing. We have to abide in Christ. We trust in him and his word abiding in us. Second Peter 1, verse 2, we have been given his magnificent, precious promises. We've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, we're not adequate to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Stand firm in the Lord. You trust him. You rely on him. You believe him. You trust his word. Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. And how do we do it? The last little thing I want to point out from our passage. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord. So. You go, what? I didn't see that. Now I see it. Or maybe you did see it. What is this term, so? You might even have in your Bibles maybe the phrase, this is how you should. They Some have translated that. The term so in Greek, uh, hutos, speaks of thus or so or likewise in this manner. In this manner, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. (laughs) In this manner, stand firm in the Lord. Well, how so? Therefore, for this reason, what he's just seen in this manner, the way that Paul stood firm, firm in the Lord, the way he trusted in Christ, relied on him, pressing forward, not looking back, so, in this way, so, stand firm in the Lord. Therefore, so, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord. In this way. It points to what he has said. The therefore and the so work together. To point back to what he has said already. We stand firm in a united response and suffering for the gospel. We stand firm in our attitude, thinking like Christ, humble and obedient. We stand firm against threats to Uh, to the gospel. Philippians 3, we stand firm, united in purpose, pressing on to know and to be like Christ. We stand firm. First Thessalonians 2, 5. So, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or mouth. First Peter 5, 12. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, so I regard him, I have written to you, briefly exhorting and testifying this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in the faith, 1 Corinthians six thirteen. So then, how are we to live a life in light of our heavenly destiny? Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm. You see, we have been given this command, and it's been given in a loving context, and our walk affects others around us. Do you realize that? Stand firm in the Lord. If you know the Lord, if you are in Christ, stand firm in him. When difficulties come your way, see them from an eternal perspective, not your temporal feelings. Do not trust in mortal man. Do not trust in yourself. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes mankind his strength. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, and the Lord is his trust. Jeremiah 17. Stand firm in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, and we recognize that it is impossible for us to stand firm apart from you enabling us, and we know that you will. We know that you are able to do exceedingly beyond what we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Lord, we know that your word is true. We believe what your son has said. We trust in him. 
Lord, I pray for us true believers here that we would be a joy to one another in our walk in Christ. That we would trust and walk in the truth. Trust your Son and walk in the truth. And Lord, I pray for those believers here who are faltering and being tossed to and fro, that they would be built up in your word, that they would confess their sin, be forgiven and move forward and stand firm in your son. And Lord, I pray for those who have never stood firm because they don't know you, that they would recognize their true state, that you would convict their hearts, Lord God. We can't see hearts, but you can and you do. Convict them that they might turn to your son Jesus and be saved and then stand firm. You're a faithful God. May we trust you. Believe what you've said. Your faithfulness is great. You're so good and gracious and kind. We thank you for this time. And may we stand firm in your son. In his name we pray.